Hello, and welcome to another Health Essentials Podcast. I'm John Horton, your host. Breast cancer is something that many women worry about, and it's easy to understand why. It's the most common cancer worldwide and a leading cause of death. But here's the statistic that really brings it home. One out of eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer at some point during their life. That's one in eight wives, mothers, daughters, and sisters. Today, we're gonna talk with oncologist Tiffany Onger about breast health and things you can do to reduce your risk of developing breast cancer. Dr. Onger is one of the many experts at Cleveland Clinic who join our weekly podcast to help us learn more about our health. So with that, let's see what we can do to lower those breast cancer numbers. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Onger. Uh, Thanks for taking some time to come in and chat. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate. We usually try to stay pretty measured in in how we talk about topics on this podcast, but uh, I've got to be honest with you. Breast cancer just feels scarier than so many other issues that we cover. It can. I think part of that is that a lot of people have been impacted by breast cancer. So I think it gets a lot of attention. Well, and let's talk about just kind of how common it is. And as I understand it, uh, there are many things that go into determining uh, someone's risk for getting breast cancer. Uh, some of these factors, such as uh, genetics, uh, can't be controlled, uh, but some factors can, right? Absolutely. With breast cancer being one of the most common cancers, I mean, one in eight women uh, will experience breast cancer in their lives. So it's a significant portion of the population. And in terms of solid cancers, it's the most common one that affects women. Uh, there are, it's important to know what the risk factors are so we can try to minimize our risk as much as possible. As you mentioned, there are some risks that cannot be controlled for um, or you know reduced. We call those non-modifiable risk factors, which is just a fancy term to mean you're dealt the hand that you're dealt. That can include things like your genetics, your family history. Um, even just as we age, our risk for breast cancer goes up or having dense breasts. But there certainly are some what we call modifiable risk factors or things that we can each do to reduce our our risk. Some of those uh, modifiable risk factors include being at a higher weight, uh, physical inactivity, and alcohol use. Yeah, and let's dive into some of those uh, kind of controllable factors uh, here. And um, you had mentioned weight, which I know is always a, a sensitive topic. So um, why is that so important? Most certainly. So weight, weight's a tough one. Um, I think that it, it can be a sensitive topic to talk about because many people struggle with their weight. So I'm going to talk about weight and uh, physical activity kind of together um, because we know that both of those together can affect your risk for breast cancer. So we know that in particular for postmenopausal women, um, that being at a, a higher weight category, we call this um, either overweight or o- having obesity, can increase your risk for breast cancer. Part of it has to do that you're carrying more fat um, within the body, and that can affect the hormones that are circulating throughout your body. But we also know that physical inactivity can contribute to not only a higher weight, but can also independently increase your risk for breast cancer. So when it comes to physical activity, sometimes people ask me like, okay, how much, you know, how much do I really need to be doing? Do I need to become a gym rat? No, you do not have to become a gym rat. Um, The recommendations are really, I think, pretty moderate. Um, I I recommend 30 minutes a day of physical activity 
five days a week. So you can take off on the weekends if you would like to, um, and preferably at a bit of a brisk pace. So if you're walking with friends, um, you should be a little breathless uh, as you're having the conversation. So not so um, slow that you could sing, but uh, not so fast that you're um, not able to have a conversation at all. Well, that's good. You don't have to be a marathon runner here. You just need to get out <laughs> no. and move a little bit and, and that, and that'll help you. What, what does the physical activity do that, that just kind of, that, that helps your body maybe, maybe ward off uh, breast cancer? A lot of things. One, it does decrease inflammation. Um, we know that that's important for many di different types of cancers um, and certainly for breast cancer that can contribute. Um, but it also can reduce the size of the fat cells and therefore reduce the impact um, of the hormones on the body. The most common type of breast cancer is hormone-positive breast cancer. So as we're thinking about some of these things that we can do to reduce our weight, um, you know, we want to think about the things that can affect the hormones. It does contribute to um, other risk factors, such as a history of hormone replacement therapy, which can, you can view that as a non-modifiable risk factor. If you had that five years ago, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do about it today. Um, but moving your body is something that you can do today. So I encourage people to do that. Yeah. You know, when you mention weight, uh, what do you guys use as, 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 as kind of the bar there? Um, like you said, it is a sensitive topic, but I know there's ways to kind of measure it where you go, here's where you might have a little bit of concern and, and here's where you might be okay. Yeah, so John, you you might not have known it. This is a little bit of a loaded uh, question. It is. I know it's always <laughs> sensitive when you talk about weight. <laughs> it is. And as women, we don't always like to talk about our weight, but it is important. Uh, so we usually look at the um, the BMI. The BMI um, has caught a little bit of flack in the media recently, um, knowing that it's not always inclusive of of a full person's health status. And so I really view it as just one measurement, just one measurement of an assessment of potential risk and health. And so we're looking at the number of 25, 25 and above, you're um, really moving into the heavier weight category. Um, and so ideally you'll keep your uh, BMI lower than that. That being said, I'm not perfect and I have a little extra weight myself, but that doesn't stop me from doing physical activity. I know that even if my weight is something that's challenging for me to to change and I, you know, I'm saying this because I'm talking to real people and I'm a real person myself. Um, I know that the physical activity can offset some of that. So even if the, the weight moves slowly, the fact that I'm exercising on a regular basis really helps uh, reduce my risk. Well, and the next thing we're going to talk about fits into the in the weight discussion too, and, and that's mealtime choices and, and the foods that that you choose to eat. Um, how does that fit into somebody's breast cancer risk? I'm so glad that you asked about this. So there's a couple of things when it comes to mealtime choices. One, um, I I want to mention that you know the the best diet for overall health and for cancer health is a diet that's balanced with plenty of fruits and vegetables low and saturated fat and sugar. And I'll come back to the sugar in a little bit. Um, but the the it doesn't have to be like a strict Mediterranean diet. Um, you can have some meats in there, some red meat, some pork if you if you enjoy that. Um, sometimes people think that they need to be on a very strict diet and they need to be just juicing all the time and kale salads, you know, for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it, the, the studies do not show that it has to be that strict having a balanced diet with plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables and kind of limiting those added fats and sugars is really the best um, the best diet 
for both before, during treatment, and in survivorship. I also mentioned the sugar, and so sugar has been a hot topic. Uh, my patients will ask me, Doc, do I need to avoid sugar? My sister is slapping cookies out of my hand left and right, <laughs> and I just I just want one bite of cookie. We all have our sweet tooth, I know. <laughs> we most certainly do. And so I say, enjoy the cookie. Things in moderation is, you know, sugar in moderation is just fine. Um, there have been questions about, well, doesn't sugar feed cancer? Uh, so should I should I be keto? Studies have uh, high quality studies have not shown that you need to be keto um, to improve your overall survival with breast cancer. Um, the ketogenic diet has, um, you know, the, it's it's had its heyday, and for some other conditions, it can be effective. Breast cancer is not one of those conditions. So I say, you know, be balanced um, and, and enjoy your cookie if you'd like to. And, and to the question about whether um, whether the sugar feeds the cancer, cancer is made up of cells. And all cells need sugar as a form of energy, including the heart and the brain. And so I want to make sure that you're giving your body the energy that it needs while you're going through cancer treatment. And that can include uh, sugar in moderation, best from natural sources. But if you want to have a warm cookie every now and again, be my guest. You know, I have to say, if people are going to take anything away from this podcast, it's going to be have the cookie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's, it's advice you usually don't get, but that's, uh, <laughs> you know, have it in moderation, but enjoy it every once in a while. Um, that's right. And, and since we're talking about moderation, too, I think that would also apply, I'm guessing, to alcoholic beverages. Uh, we all kind of enjoy a maybe a little a little glass here and there. Um, is that okay if, if in this whole thing? Very good question, John. So I do say that during treatment, during treatment, and that is specifically what I'm really, really, for, excuse me, really referring to chemotherapy, I would recommend that we really limit the alcohol during that time. Um, and when I mean limit, I mean uh, abstaining during that short amount of time. I just don't want there to be interactions with the alcohol and um, the side effects of the chemotherapy kind of compounding the picture. We also do know, and this is bad news for my for my uh, my brunch bunch, that there has not been a level of alcohol that has been shown not to increase the risk for cancers. And so even um, you know even one drink a you know a day. Um, that can mildly increase the risk for cancers. That being said, um, when we talk about overall health, alcohol is a big part of a lot of people's culture. With the holidays coming up, there's gonna there's gonna be toast. Um, you know, there's gonna be brunches. There's gonna be different activities where that's a part of the uh, the culture. And so I really encourage again moderation. I want to make sure I bring factual information. Um, and so unfortunately that we do know that all drinks, all alcoholic drinks can increase the risk, but I still encourage moderation, even when it comes to alcohol. So be smart and be responsible with it, which, which is, is good advice always when it comes to uh, alcohol. Yes. You know, I've seen a lot of questions too, asking if eating soy based foods, uh, increases breast cancer risk. Um, is, is there any truth to that? So yes and no. It depends on the organism that we're looking at. So when I'm treating breast cancer patients, uh, they're people. And thankfully, the studies in humans have not shown 
that soy-based products uh, necessarily increase the risk for cancer. The concern about soy is whether they can act like phytoestrogens or plant-based estrogens um, in the body when they are consumed. So studies have looked both at um, animal models and at people, and their studies are a little bit conflicting. And so at this time, it's reasonable to suggest moderation. This has been kind of our theme today, moderation. Um, And I really encourage folks to get their soy through the diet uh, as opposed to taking supplements. Um, When we, when it comes to kind of new overall nutrition, you know, it's definitely best to have a variety of fruits and vegetables um, and you can use tofu or soy milk in dietary quantities. Um, But I would probably avoid the supplements just because we don't know as well what effect that might have. Well, Dr. Anger, you, you, you set me up perfectly for every question I'm going to ask because we were going to move right from that into uh, taking vitamins and supplements. Um, <laughs> is that something that, that people can do to maybe to, to limit their, their risk? So studies have shown that um, up to 80, sometimes 90 percent of patients and especially breast cancer patients will um, include supplements at some part of their care. We know that um, those supplements can be natural. That doesn't mean that they won't interact with the medicines that uh, we're using to treat the cancer. It's important to understand that relationship that supplements can have on the treatments because sometimes they can increase the uh, side effects. Sometimes they can decrease the efficacy or how effective the treatment is. Um, Sometimes it can have no no effect at all. And sometimes the supplements themselves can have side effects. And so I really encourage people to communicate with their doctors the supplements that they're taking or that they're interested in taking during the cancer treatment journey, just so that we can all know, you know, what's going into your body and how those things might interact together. The supplements um, can come in the form of many different, um, many different types. They can be pills. Um, sometimes people um, go to other clinics, sometimes natural clinics and are getting IVs. Um, they can come through a number of different uh, ways into the body, but I really want people to know to talk to their doctor about what they're taking. It's important just to have that conversation. So ultimately, you and your doctor can make the best decision for your cancer care. Is there any evidence um, that that taking vitamins and supplements can 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 cause cancer? Uh, looking at it kind of ahead of uh, a, a diagnosis. Very good question. So we know that there are some substances that can be what we call carcinogenic or increase the risk for cancer. Um, Generally, those are things that we were tested kind of initially in animal models. Studies will kind of let the media know, hey, this is this is kind of what we're seeing. Um, Generally, those things have been um, kind of curtailed in the general population use. But sometimes when you're buying things off the Internet, for example, which, you know, let's be honest, a lot of us do buy things off of the Internet. Um, you don't always know what's in those supplements. Um, sometimes they can be contaminated with heavy metals, and we know that heavy metals can increase the risk for cancers. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why the supplement companies, you know, especially the reputable ones, the ones that you can find in the stores, uh, they'll specifically say this uh, supplement has not been proven to prevent, cure, or treat any medical condition. Um, and sometimes I've read these labels, and they can be literally conflicting with, like, um, you know, the, the front of the label where it says, you know, maybe it says health for this or healthy that. Um, but on the back, it clearly says this has not been proven to treat any condition. So 
I encourage people to to read the labels, understand what they're bringing to their bodies, and be thoughtful and judicious about where you buy your supplements from. If there's a pharmacist there that you can talk to, that's usually a good sign. Well, and I know you had mentioned earlier too the importance of diet, and I know a lot of those vitamins and nutrients that that you're trying to get through through pills, you can also get just through eating a little better and mixing in some um, some leafy greens here and there. Most certainly, as a matter of fact, uh, one of our one of the studies that we did here at the Cleveland Clinic looked to try to understand, you know, what number of supplements are most helpful for patients as they're going through. Um, through cancer care, and we found that the fewer supplements that you're using during cancer care, the better. And this study didn't look at every single supplement um, that someone was that someone was taking. As you can imagine, there are hundreds, if not thousands, that people can take. But we did find that, um, and likely due to the potential interactions with the cancer treatment, that those patients who had fewer supplements tended to do better. So I would say, you know, keep it really to the bare minimum certainly have a conversation with your doctor. Moderation again, it seems that it is our word of the day. <laughs> now, when, when we talk about prevention, um, I know there's a lot of talk about whether personal care items such as uh, deodorant or, or hair dye um, can cause breast cancer. Uh, what do the studies actually say? So the studies are, 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 again, as we're thinking about animal models, theory, and then moving into people, good thing is for people, it has been shown that um, things like hair dye minimally, if, if at all, um, increase the risk for breast cancer. And deodorants in particular have not been shown to increase the risk for cancers. A lot of times people are concerned about the aluminum. They say, boy, when I'm going to get my mammogram, they always say, don't wear deodorant, don't wear deodorant. It's not because of a concern for cancer. It's really just because the aluminum can look like something called microcalcifications, which can be seen when there's cancer. And so they just want to prevent the interaction. The studies have also looked to try to understand, okay, is there an amount of aluminum that's absorbed into the body? And it's a tiny, minuscule amount that is absorbed into the body, and there's no evidence that it behaves as, um, as an estrogen to help the cancers grow. Sometimes people wonder, um, you know, well, we're applying deodorant to our underarms and that's where the lymph nodes are. That's correct. That is where the lymph nodes are. But there's not evidence that the deodorant, aluminum or otherwise, is contributing to increased cancer risk. So um, even as you're, you know, going out and about, as you're exercising, as I hope you do to reduce your cancer risk, um, please feel comfortable using whatever deodorant you like to use um, to, to feel most like yourself. Well, that is good news, especially if we're going to be exercising a little bit more. Um, we had also mentioned uh, hair dye. So what what are the specifics with that? It sounds like it's a little bit mixed. It is a little bit mixed. Um, there have been investigations into hair dyes. There have been investigations into uh, relaxers, in particular for the African-American community. Um, it hasn't been shown to be as impactful into the risk for, for breast cancer as uh, as we expected. Um, and I think, you know, some of the concern is like, you know, we're applying the hair dyes to the scalp and these are these are chemicals. And so it there have not been really strong studies to show that, hey, we should really be eliminating hair dyes throughout um, the cancer journey. I do have patients who ask me, you know, can I get my hair dyed during my cancer treatment, especially those women who aren't going to be getting chemotherapy and losing their hair. They, they want to make sure that they still uh, look the way that they're used to looking. 
And so I just let them know that your hair might be a little bit more fragile during treatment. Um, and that can affect, you know, how the processing times um, are used during that time. But um, there's not necessarily a strong risk where I would say you categorically have to avoid um, avoid using hair dyes. And we should probably emphasize here too that there is uh, nothing wrong with gray hair, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with gray hair. Embrace it. Uh, A lot of people have in, in the past years and I think it's a fabulous trend. Well, well me, me too. So I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, Dr. Unger, we, we've covered a lot of ground here and, and you've given us just fabulous information. Uh, before we wrap things up, do you have anything else to add on, on what women can do to minimize their chance of getting breast cancer? Yes. A couple things are one, to maintain a healthy lifestyle with fruits and vegetables and with uh, physical exercise. Two is to know that there are some risks that you can't change, and that's okay. Just because we're out living in the world, we're getting some natural sunlight, which is good for the body in all types of ways. Um, but anything that we do you know, can affect, increase, or decrease our risk for cancer. But I also want to encourage people to know their family history. I really want people to know their family history because that can not only impact your risk for cancer, but it can also be a, a give you information that might be important in knowing when to start screening. Uh, we are recommending screening with mammograms for breast cancer once a year, starting at age 40, starting at age 40. But that's really the latest that you would want to consider getting screened based upon your family history, your personal history. We might meet qualifications for screening earlier than that. So it's really important to know your family history and your personal history as well. Dr. Anger, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I feel like we're, we're all in a, in a better spot now because of the, uh, the information that you've given us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Can you 100% protect yourself against breast cancer? The answer is no, but you can lower your risk of getting the disease by eating nutritious meals, regularly exercising, and maintaining a healthy weight consider it a way to turn the odds in your favor. Till next time, be well. Thank you for listening to Health Essentials, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit clevelandclinic.org slash H-E podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician.